0: God, we thank you for just victory in Jesus' name in this place right now. As we gather online, God, and that's our prayer um, right now is that uh, we find victory in you and you alone. God, we thank you that you are the way, the truth, and the life through Jesus. And God, um, I just pray this morning for Matt right now. I pray for wisdom, pray for your Holy Spirit to work in and through him uh, for whatever you have prepared for him today as we, we learn, God, more about you and your word. And God, we just gather online and sing praises to you because you are the King, the King of Glory, and you are worthy of all praise, all creation. God, praises your name right now, Lord. So we thank you again for this opportunity, even though it's online, that we can be together um, as a church family, um, as a collective. God, and just come before your throne and, uh, and just rest at the feet of Jesus today. We pray this all in your Son's name of Jesus
1: Christ. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Justin. Hey, my name is Matt Kuman. I'm excited to be with you today. Um, this morning we're going to be talking about Joseph, uh, but before we do that, I want to ask you guys a question at home and I want you actually to respond to me like I can actually see you. We're going to pretend like this is happening. So how many of you have ever waited too long to do something? Justin's like, all the time, right? Yeah, everyone is. Like, I've waited too long to do something. I remember there's a lot of times when I was in high school, um, and I would often wait too long to do some homework assignments. Any of you with me on that one? Like, some of those kids are like, yeah, I've been in that boat. Um, Someone wise once told me, you're just delegating to your future self. I'm like, I can get behind that. That, 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 That sounds pretty close to what I like to do. So there were a lot of like book reports even in high school where you'd need to read this whole book that's like 100 or 200 pages long and then write a few-page report on it. And I remember a lot of times where that deadline would start coming closer, and it would be like three or four days out, and I'd think, you know, maybe it's time for me to start reading that book. And then another day or two would go past, and I'd think, okay, now now it's probably time. So I'd get down to it, there'd be pressure on it, and I'd open the book and read the first chapter, and then I'd look at how much time that, that took me to read that, and I'd realize there's no possible way I'm going to be able to finish this book in the amount of time I have. So I would skip through the whole book and then go right to the end and read the last chapter and figure out what happened to all these people and pretend that I knew what was in the center. right? I would Write my book report on what I was imagining would happen in between the first chapter and the last chapter, right? Some of you have that same idea when you've waited too long to do some things like that. And I love that this series is in the time we're at right now because I think we can all relate to a season of waiting, all right, we all can picture that. We all are waiting to hopefully see extended family again. We're waiting for summer to come soon. We're waiting maybe to go back to work, or maybe you're just waiting for the kids to go find something else to do. Maybe school needs to start again. All right, we're in a season of waiting, it seems like, right now. Um, but let me introduce you to a man named Joseph, who we're going to be spending most of our time with today, because he has clearly waited for a long time for some things to happen in his life. And I think how he used that season of waiting can be really helpful for all of us. So we're going to jump right into the story. But the story of Joseph is about 13 chapters in the book of Genesis. So Genesis is this first book of the Bible. And Joseph's story is quite long through all of that. And we don't have the time to go through it today. And I know a lot of you were able to spend some time in devotions, reading a few of those chapters. But we don't want to just read like the first chapter of Joseph and read the last chapter of Joseph and kind of pretend to know what's in the middle. See, I, before I started here, I was a youth pastor in Byron Center. And when I started as a youth pastor... I had a group of guys who would love to go to these Marvel Avenger movies, and they they invited me to go one time I'm like, you know I, I don't turn down a movie I like enjoy, I enjoy movies so I went to one I think it was Iron Man or Thor or one of those, and the movie was good I mean there was a lot of action, things blew up, and I find that exciting and but the the problem was I realized that I didn't actually understand all of the things that were happening like all these kids that I went with were saying oh did you, did you see how this happened in this I'm like yeah but what does that even mean I felt like I had missed a bunch of the movies before which I had evidently there's a bunch of movies that explain what's going on so as it, as the years went on I went to a few of them with them and then a few years ago Endgame came out and I'm like okay if I'm gonna go see this movie with these guys I'm going to make sure I know everything that's happening before because Endgame is the end of the Marvel Avengers series. So it's kind of the the big ending to this series. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to go through all these. So I, I spent like a month, month and a half slowly going through all of these Avengers movies. And when I went to Endgame, I was just blown away because all of these little movies... Actually, they're quite big movies. All of these big movies had so many little things inside of them that when you'd watch Endgame, it brought all of those stories into one. And I was just blown away. I was just amazed by it. See, in the same way, we're going to be looking at this story of Joseph today. And if we just spent time in the first bit and the end, we'd miss how cool that ending is and how God worked through all of his life for this ending. So, we're going to be jumping around a little bit today throughout a lot of Genesis and covering his story. So let's jump right in, um, starting at ver- at, in chapter 37 of Genesis. So at this point, we have Joseph, and he is probably where we're going to pick up in this story. He's probably a teenager in between 10 and 15, maybe 17 years old and joseph is one of the youngest boys of a large family there's about 10 to 12 other brothers that he has and joseph is one of those brothers that um his his parents probably like the most. He's actually kind of the favorite amongst the group. And if you're sitting with your siblings, you know which one is your, your parents' favorite, right? So you kind of like them a little bit less. We can keep that between us. Don't point at them and say you like them less, okay? <laughs> right? These brothers like Joseph a little bit less because he's the favorite. He can get away with anything. He always gets what he wants. He is that brother, right? And one day, um, Joseph has a dream. And Joseph's dream is one of those where he, he goes to his brothers and his brothers bow down to him in this dream. And you think, oh, that's a little weird. right? I, I probably won't share that with anyone because they would probably hate you more. But yet, Joseph goes to his brothers and says, guys, guess what? I had this awesome dream. You all bow down to me. And they're like, What? Right? They, get to, they start hating him more because of this dream that he had. There's no way we're ever going to bow down to you. We don't want to do anything. We don't want anything to do with you anymore. You think you're so high up, you're better than us. All of those things, I'm sure, were running through their minds. So Joseph has this dream and kind of makes his brothers all angry. So this is where our story picks up. And one day, um, Joseph's father, Jacob, sends Joseph to his brothers, who are in a distant field, kind of shepherding over their flocks. So uh, Joseph gathers a bunch of food to bring to him and goes out to the field. And this is where our story is going to pick up in verse 18. So it says this, But they saw him in the distance, and before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of those cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. Uh, And you think your family has some issues right now, right? Oh my word, like something. These brothers hate Joseph to the extreme where they are plotting to kill him. And when Joseph comes up to him, they grab him and throw him into the cistern, which is a, a deep well that is dried up. So Joseph's in the bottom of the cistern. And these brothers start kind of plotting like, okay, how are we going to kill him? How are we going to make this look like an accident? We won't, don't want dad to think that we did it. They're, they're doing all this. And then a caravan of Ishmaelites kind of go off in the distance. They're starting to pass. And just so you know, it's not like a bunch of Ishmaelites in a Dodge caravan going past. A different image. It's like a caravan of, like, camels. Following? No? Okay. That's that's all right. We'll go with it. So these Ishmaelites are going past, and Judah has this idea, um, and he says this, Judah said to his brothers, What will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? And you can imagine Joseph and his sister and thinking, yes, you guys should listen to Judah. Please do not kill me. It continues. Come on, let's sell, sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay hands on him. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. And the brothers agreed. So Joseph is handed off to these Ishmaelites. So we see... So far in the story, Joseph has had this dream about where his brothers are going to bow down to him. He shares that with them, And then he is thrown into a cistern and sold into slavery, going away with the Ishmaelites to an unknown group of people in an unknown area. Talk about not knowing how that dream would ever take place. Right? You can see that being played out. See, so a few years later, Joseph is sold um, as a slave to a man named Potiphar. And Potiphar is, is kind of high up. He's an Egyptian official, and he's the captain of the guard, kind of right under Pharaoh, where he would rule over a lot of Pharaoh's different things. So Potiphar is this high up guy. And this is where our story picks up. Out of Genesis 39, the Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master, which is this Potiphar guy we just talked about. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. So we see that Joseph was sold as a slave to Potiphar, but Joseph did some really good things, and he ended up being his attendant. He's now kind of working for Potiphar. It says this, Potiphar put him in charge of all of his household, and he entrusted to his care everything that he owned, right? So we see that he's more than a more than attendant. He's overseeing everything in Potiphar's household, everything that he owns, It continues, now Joseph was well built and handsome, and if you can't picture that, picture something like this physique, I would imagine is somewhat what Joseph was like. After a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. See, Joseph knew that that was wrong on so many levels, that that was a sin not only against God, but against Potiphar, who was the master who gave him to be in charge of the head of his household, right? That that didn't include that. So he continued to say no to Potiphar's wife, but Potiphar's wife kept kind of pushing on him. And one day, Joseph was in the house, and she grabs at his cloak and tears it, and Joseph runs off. Potiphar's wife is very upset and kind of goes to her husband and says, look at what your slave has done to me. He tried to force himself on me. At this point, Potiphar is pretty upset. He's an angry husband, as he probably should be with knowing what his wife has said, and he throws Joseph into prison. Okay, so you can think that Joseph has had this dream, He's thrown into a cistern, where then he's put into uh, slavery, where he's sold to Potiphar, and now he's thrown into prison, thinking about how is this dream ever going to take place? Those are the thoughts I'm having run in my mind. See, it continues to say this, But while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those who were held in the prison. So Joseph is a prisoner, and he's, the warden has now made Joseph in charge of all of the prisoners. So it's a prisoner who's in charge of prisoners. So we're following along. And he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. So Joseph's in prison now, and after a few years, there's two people that get thrown into prison that are in kind of Pharaoh's uh, household. It's a cupbearer and a baker, and these two guys get thrown into prison. They probably made some bad bread and made a bad joke against Pharaoh, and Pharaoh's like, you must go to prison. So they end up in prison, and one night, both of them have a dream. And they kind of look distraught, and Joseph says, hey, guys, what's wrong? So they share this dream that they had because they don't know what it means. And Joseph explains to the cupbearer that his dream signifies that one day soon, actually in three days, you will be back in Pharaoh's court giving him a cup. Right? You will be back um, working in your job. And he explains to the other man, the baker, That in three days, your dream means that you're actually going to die. You're going to be impaled, and that's going to be it. Kind of a sad ending and a bad interpretation for this this chief baker. But as as the cupbearer is leaving to go back into Pharaoh's court, Joseph says, hey, remember me. I've been in prison for a while. Will you please say some good things about me to Pharaoh when you see him? And... Then they leave, right? And both of those dreams end up coming true. The chief baker ends up being killed, and the cupbearer goes back to Pharaoh's court. But the cupbearer forgets to mention to Pharaoh who this Joseph guy is until about two years later. And two years later, the cupbearer is kind of bringing more cups to Pharaoh. I don't know what a cupbearer does as his main job besides bring cups to Pharaoh, but he's doing his duties And Pharaoh has a dream where he gets all the interpreters in the area to come in and try to interpret the dream and no one can do it. And the cupbearer thinks, I may have screwed up because about two years ago I was supposed to actually tell you something and it slipped my mind. There was this Joseph guy in this jail who we brought him our dreams and God interpreted those dreams for us and both of our dreams ended up coming true. Uh, me and my friend were in jail, and remember you killed the one guy, and then I came back to work for you. That, Yeah, I was supposed to tell you that. And Pharaoh says, bring, bring him here. Let, let him come here and interpret my dream. So that's where this story picks up. Pharaoh brings Joseph into kind of his palace, and he explains his dream to Joseph. And Pharaoh explains, Pharaoh actually has two dreams. They're very similar. One is where there are seven healthy, hefty cows, like full mature cows that are big and very healthy, a lot of beef on them, right? These are the kinds that you would want to slaughter. They're huge ones. And he says, these are, these are standing around grazing. And then there's also seven really skinny, ugly cows. Ones that you would never, never butcher. Uh, there, there's no meat on there. There's just bones and skin pretty much. There's nothing good about these cows. But yet these cows go and devour the seven healthy cows. And he's so confused about that. And he has a second dream that's very similar to that, but with wheat bundles. And the skinny bundles of wheat devour the big, healthy bundles of wheat. And Pharaoh is confused. What does this mean? And Joseph says, "I I can't interpret it, but God will kind of grant you what this in, what this interpretation is." So Joseph explains to him that this. This dream that you have means there's going to be seven years of fruitful harvest. These seven healthy cows mean there, there's going to be an abundance in the land. It's going to be seven really good years. It's going to be a bounty crop for years. But then to follow that, there's going to be seven years of drought and famine. And if you don't kind of get enough stored warehouses with the abundance of food in the first seven years, you're never going to make it. There's going to be a famine and it's going to devour all the good things you have. So Joseph explained to him, you need to kind of store up as much as you can from the abundance of harvests that we'll have over the next seven years. And this is where Joseph, uh, or where Pharaoh says something else to Joseph in verse 39. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has made all this known to you, There is no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace, and my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. So do you see that Pharaoh literally has put Joseph so high in charge that the only person higher than Joseph is Pharaoh. So Joseph kind of has control over a ton of different stuff. See, Joseph had a dream, if we take a step back, had a dream that one day his brothers would bow down to him. But yet, if he looks at his whole life, all of the different circumstances that he was in, nothing points to that ever happening until now. Because, Joseph's interpretation ends up coming true. There are seven really good years, seven years of bountiful harvest where they store a bunch of food, and then a drought comes. And the drought isn't just for Egypt. The drought is for Aryan nations where people are running out of food all over. But Egypt has prepared for this moment because of what God spoke through Joseph. They've prepared for this, and they've got an abundance of food. And so, so much so that the Aryan nations who are running out of food and water know that Egypt has an abundance of food. So everyone's starting to send their people to Egypt to get food. One of these families is Joseph's family. And what we find is that Joseph's family... There's no no way they would ever think Joseph would probably even be alive at this point anymore. It has been years and years and years since they've seen him. He was just a little boy when they sold him into slavery, right? And you think this is, yeah, years and years have gone past. So Jacob sends his family to Egypt, sends about 10 of the brothers to Egypt to get food. And Jacob sees him coming in the distance, and it says this, Now Joseph was governor of the land, the person who sold grain to all its people. So when Joseph's brothers arrived, they bowed down to him with their faces on the ground. So you can imagine Joseph looking back on his life thinking, Oh my word. Like, all of these situations that I seem to wait so long for, this dream that I've waited so long for is now happening. And I'm actually saving my brothers' and my family's lives because of this very moment. See, remember, there's no way these brothers would recognize that Joseph, their brother who they sold into slavery, would ever be the governor of the land and the food in Egypt. They wouldn't have even looked at him expecting him to be that high up, and yet they bow down not knowing who Joseph is. See, they've had a lifetime of waiting. Joseph has had a lifetime of waiting for this moment. Do you notice that all of these things that Joseph had throughout his life, all of the circumstances from being thrown into a cistern to being sold to a group of people he knew nothing about, to a land that he knew nothing of, to being sold as a slave to Potiphar and accused of something he didn't even do, to being thrown into prison. All of those things. Where where do you see that, that people would bow down to him in those situations? It has been a lifetime of waiting. See, maybe you feel like your life right now is in the middle of some part of that story. Maybe you feel like your life has been just thrown into a cistern and it doesn't feel like there's any way out and there's no one reaching a hand down to help you. See, maybe, maybe you're at a dead-end job and you don't know where to go or where God could be in that dead-end job. See, maybe you're out of work right now and you don't know when you're going to be able to start again. And you're worried about uh, supplying enough food and providing for your family. See, what in those circumstances, where wh- what are we waiting on? What, what can we do while we're waiting? See, but do you notice what Joseph did in all of those situations? Right, Joseph, in all of those things, did not ever wait to be useful. See, I, I picture Joseph looking back on his life in the moment when his brothers are looking down thinking, Oh, I see why I had, i how God worked through me being sold into slavery to do something good. I see how God worked when, he thro- when I was thrown into prison and how God worked in that moment to put me here and how God worked in all of these things that I didn't think would ever be possible for the brothers to bow down to me. How God worked through all of those things for good to come out of it. See, In this season of waiting, God is not waiting for your hardship to pass to work through you. He is working through you. Are we letting him work through us in those seasons of waiting? See, I think there's three things that I specifically take away when I read this Joseph story, and I want to share those with you this morning. So number one is this. Joseph had an expectant response to his hardships. So an expectant response that he, he was ready for those, he, maybe not ready for those hardships, but he didn't just sit back and let those hardships happen. You see, Joseph didn't spend his time asking why. Right, when he was in the cistern, why, God? He didn't ask that. Why am I in a cistern? He didn't ask that. When he was in prison, he didn't ask, God, why am I in prison? What can I do in here? When he was a slave, he didn't ask, why, God? Why am I here? He started doing things about it. He, it seems that he's asking, okay, now what? I'm in prison. Now what can I do as a prisoner? I'm a slave. What can I do as a slave? What can I do to be better here? See, what can you be doing to be expectant? Because we know who's in charge. We have that safety net of knowing that God is on the throne and he's in charge. So that's number one. Number two, Joseph was faithful and trusted God with each task that he was given. See, when we look back at all of Joseph's little kind of situations in his life, we see that Joseph seemed to excel in all of them. As a prisoner, he didn't just sit back in the corner of his cell and get fed once a day and made fun of the warden and all that type of thing, right? Like normal prisoners do. He seemed to be helpful to the point where the warden said, "Uh, why don't you actually rule over all the prisoners and all of the things in the prison? And the same, same thing happened as a slave, that he excelled to where Potiphar allowed him over all of his household. We see Joseph earning each status, right? It's not sitting back and letting the hardships attack us. It's actually doing something about us. Trust God with each task that is set before us. So number three, God was with Joseph. And for the same reason, God is with you. And how do we know that? See, when we look at Joseph's life, Throughout all of his life, we can see in all the situations that Joseph had people looking at him. He had Pharaoh. He had some the prison warden. He had all these people saying, oh, when we look at you, we see God is doing something in your life, right? God is active in your life. God is with you. So that makes me ask the question, what is Joseph doing that when people look at his life, that people see that God is with that man? What would it look like for us to live a life where when people look at us and the things that we we are doing, that people would say, God is with that man. Or God is with that woman. What would it take for us to live lives like that? Maybe ask yourself, what is my life testifying to? What can I do with my life? So your purpose does not start Once the shutdown is lifted, once you can get back to work, once things are back to normal, your purpose starts now. See, because Joseph believed God was with him. He believed in the word and the promise and the character of God that he would be with him in all of the situations in his life and he was overwatching him and he could take care of him. See, Joseph didn't just sit there and wait for God to do something in his life, he, he started running with what he could do. See, he didn't say to God, God, why, why am I in prison when I should be having my brothers bow down to me? He didn't ask those questions. He did the best at his job at hand, whatever he was given. You see, we are in a season of waiting. But that doesn't mean that God's absent. See, when I think back to the Avengers movies and Marvel, the kind of one of the big creators of it is the guy named Stan Lee who created this series. And it fascinates me all the little details he put in there in each of the movies. And you'd have to think in the back storyboard of all of these things, there's people asking, why why would we put that there? That, that doesn't make any sense. But Stan Lee had a vision for what this was going to look like, how this series was going to unfold, and how Ed Game would bring all of these stories together to create something just crazy. See, we can have faith that God is the author of the world and the author of our life and in control of the situations around us and is able to work in every single situation that life throws at us, even if it doesn't feel like we know what to do. See, Joseph just focused on the thing at hand, at the job that he had at hand. He didn't say, God God gave me a dream, and why isn't that happening right now? He allowed God to work through his life over years and years and years, and it brought him to a moment where he was actually saving the life of his family because of the famine that was in the world. See, he... People, his brothers bowed down to him because they needed that food. They, they, they saw what God might be doing in his life. See, life has seasons of waiting, and I think we can relate to that now more than ever. See, I want to end with this your life is not on hold, your life is never on hold. Your purpose is not on hold, your life's now. Your purpose is now. God is working in you now. So this is the question I want to leave with you today. So how are you waiting? How are you waiting? And what are you going to do about that? Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. And I thank you for the way you spoke into Joseph's life through all of the circumstances that he has. And I ask that as we look into our own life and the things that may not be going as we expected, that we, we are able to work through those moments and see how you may be working in our lives through all of those things. We ask that as we are in this season of waiting, that you show us where you are. In your name we pray, amen. I hope as you listen to this song that you're able to just maybe sit back and actually think about the words that God is speaking over. I will wait. Sometimes these promises, sometimes these miracles take time. I hope that you hear God's voice speaking to you. I'm still here. What are you going to do while you wait? What is it going to look like in your life to wait in this season? Be proactive in the waiting. We may not be able to do much, and sometimes that is just so frustrating. But what speaks volumes is how we wait. It's trusting in God through that season. And church, I ask in this season of waiting that you continue to trust and know that God is the author of the book. God is the author of creation and don't ever forget that promise and that truth. So as you go out in this week, think about this final blessing over here. As you wait in this season, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace in this time of waiting. May the Lord bless you. Have a great week, and we hope to see you guys all soon. We'll see you later.